what we have a tendency to do as humans is overlook so much of what's going on, discounting it as not that significant, not that meaningful. And we're more focused on what seems to be more important, more compelling, more demanding or deserving of our attention. What's functioning as a kind of barrier to seeing just how extraordinary everything is, is the belief that it's not extraordinary. So is it possible to widen the scope of appreciation and gratitude for that to become more and more inclusive of the whole of life? The incredible profoundness and meaningfulness of everything. What's here is lacking in nothing. It's nothing but the most astonishing fullness and vitality and aliveness and lusciousness and beauty. That's what's actually here. And it can be recognized even when the interpretations are happening to feel what's here and not merely think about what's here, being with it as it is. And then it starts to open up the wordless world, the non-conceptual world, where there is no hierarchy. It's a continuum of inconceivability. It's a continuum of God knows what this is. It doesn't negate the way it looks, but it opens up this other way of perceiving it, which is its infinity, its boundless nature, its fathomless nature. And that is indeed something to marvel at and be in awe of. It is itself awe-inspiring. And then we're not just glancing over things as insignificant. We actually just look at what's there rather than what we think is there. So just be with what's being encountered and the inherent meaningfulness of it reveals itself. Everything is the most magnificent thing in the world from that perspective, because everything is made of this, whatever this is made of, which can't be said. Everything is being created in each instant by that which is creating everything, the mystery. And that's why it's beautiful, just as it is. It's exactly what you're seeing in exactly the way that you're seeing it. It's not some other perception. It's this perception. So the beauty I'm speaking about, the wonder of it, is inherent in the way it's being encountered. Exactly. Nothing needs to change because we are the treasure. The treasure's everywhere. Both the perceived and the perceiver is all treasure, is all absolute boundless wonder, boundless wonder. You're listening to the Non-Duality Podcast. This is Nick Hyam from nisagayoga.com. In this episode, Paul Dobson speaks with John Astin. There's this thing at the moment that seems to be very popular, showing gratitude for what you've got as opposed to things that you want. <laughs> what we talk about a lot of the time seems to be that taken to the nth degree almost just an absolute appreciation, not just for these everyday things, but appreciation for everything in its absolute perfection in every single possible way. I thought I'd just uh, see what your take on that was. I'd just be curious to hear what you have to say about all of that. Yeah. Psychologically speaking, we see studies coming out over the last couple of decades, really pointing to the power of practicing cultivating an attitude of gratitude, if you will, appreciation for the myriad things there are to appreciate in this life, which are 
really countless. And that something about that way of orienting to what's here, that, that perspective of gratitude, I mean, what gratitude even is, is like everything else, a mystery. But something of that sense of appreciation of what's here can really be a powerful, you could say, antidote to when people feel very mood dysregulated, anxious, depressed. And oftentimes in those states, there's this narrative going on of a perspective on life, of life is very difficult, life is very overwhelming, life is very negative in some sense, maybe meaningless, maybe hopeless. These kinds of perspectives that are often coincide with people's feeling dysregulated in terms of mood, that something about recognizing what's here from a, from a stance of appreciation and gratitude just almost makes it, it, it tends to counter a lot of that, those other perspectives that are seeing things as hopeless and meaningless. So it, it's very powerful, can be very powerful. I think in terms of the things that we, we tend to discuss around non-duality and the nature of reality, I think what becomes challenging for people is it's one thing to have an appreciation for the things that are to our liking, <laughs> the things that we like, the things that somehow really stand out to us as being worthy of our appreciation. But as you were suggesting in your question, is it possible to widen the scope of appreciation and gratitude for that to become more and more inclusive of the whole of life, we could say? And to the point, at least we could play it as a thought experiment, like to the point where there's this recognition of the incredible profoundness and meaningfulness of everything, not just certain things. And what might facilitate one discovering that? And you, know, you've, you and I have chatted about this before a little bit that and, and i've just been playing around with this a lot in my own consciousness and just been reflecting on it that it seems that what we have a tendency to do as humans is overlook so much of what's going on overlook in the sense of kind of discounting it as not that significant really not that meaningful you know, in any given moment, we could say there's just an infinite amount of information that's seems to be being perceived. And all these little kind of details of the experiential field. And I think that in our kind of human focused existence, where we're just overlooking a lot of those details, they're, they're kind of like noise in the system. They're sort of there, but I mean, the way the light happens to be reflecting on my wall right now in my room is like, I'm not really attending to that. I'm not really, I'm not really stopping to look at that and appreciate the extraordinariness of that, the, the miracle of that. And you know, it would seem that a lot of the time we're more focused on, consciousness is more focused on what seems to be more important, more compelling, more demanding or deserving of our attention, and maybe also more interesting. And so what's extraordinary, though, to begin to recognize is that 
this, and this is what I've been playing with, is that we've basically created these hierarchies. Consciousness has created these hierarchies of importance, hierarchies of meaningfulness, hierarchies of beauty, <laughs> hierarchies of significance, value, and so on. And how are these hierarchies created? What is it that leads us be to believe that there are hierarchies in these different ways, hierarchies of, of importance and meaningfulness and so on? And I, I think it has to do with how we're defining things. So the passing over of all these things that are being encountered uh, and the passing over of them, writing them off as kind of like unimportant sort of things that are there, but let's get on to the important stuff where the action is. That, that process, I mean, all of this is really happening outside of conscious awareness, it would seem. The, the kind of discounting of things, the non-appreciation of them in a sense. At some level, I think mostly unbeknownst to us, they're being written off based on what we think they are, how we're defining them. So what would it be like to short circuit that somehow? Is that possible? Is it possible to see these phenomena that we're, we're considering inconsequential in a different way? I think what it requires is to see what's here outside of only the context of how we're interpreting it. I think that's what's key. Yeah, these interpretations seem to diminish the appreciation, the quality, the uh, sort of amazing wonder of what this is. We just see them as kind of, as you said, it's, it's just, oh, well, this, is, this part of it's boring. But this part of it's interesting, and it, really, it's there's there is no hierarchy there. It's all it's all absolutely, as you said before, absolutely significant, absolutely wondrous. I mean, the fact that it's happening at all, the fact that there's something, that anything, there's phenomena. How can you then take that apart and say this <laughs> piece of? A uh, miraculous divine light expressing is what looks like form is important, and this is nothing. It's impossible. There's no dividing lines there, is there? And there seems to be a spectrum as to how much or how little we appreciate this. Talks like this, where we're really looking into reality as nakedly as we can and as fully as we can and exploring it, could be on, say, to be on one end of the spectrum. And then you're on the other end of the spectrum. You just are not grateful for anything. You're just really unhappy to be existing, unhappy about anything that's occurring and overlooking stuff constantly in favor of maybe some glimmer of hope in the future where this might not be the case. Overlooking, completely overlooking this whole miracle that's happening right now. And of course, you can see how that happens. It's not. It's not like people are going out to do this and to be miserable. It's. It's totally innocent. But um, the fact that it's. It's. It's just occurring right now. It's all right now, right here. It's just very interesting that we happen to overlook so much of it. I mean, it's literally uh, the tiniest, tiniest fraction that we we seem to take in and notice, as opposed to, like you said, this. Right now, this moment is an infinity of information. It's literally an infinity of data, you could say, 
And we just take out a tiny, 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 I mean, say as many tinies as you want there, tiny part of it. And we go, that's the thing I'm focusing on. And that thing is usually like some thought about how miserable my life is or how miserable this moment is. It's never the the miraculous wonder of this moment. And that's that's quite revealing, I feel. You know, I, I sometimes talk about how there's there's two worlds. There, it's one world, but it's sort of two very broad ways it can be perceived, encountered. And one is what we could say the defined world, the seemingly definable world. And then there's the other world. Again, it's one world, but the other perspective on this one world, which is what's actually here. What's actually present, which when explored can be discovered to not be definable. For example, the feeling that that kind of writing things off, again, that's that's a way you see something. I'm looking at the shadow and light on the wall across this room that I'm sitting in. And so something's being perceived. Now consciousness is doing this sort of interpreting defining categorizing it's like man it's just happening like at light speed isn't it i mean you close your eyes and you open your eyes and everything's recognized all the shapes and forms and and the names for those shapes and forms it's like just almost instantaneous in a sense it seems like it's instantaneous and so in a way you could say i don't really need to tune into and explore the shadows and the light on the wall and get into it and trip out on it and enjoy it. I don't need to do that. It's not necessary. I got stuff to do here. You know, (laughs) it's like, I'm focused on something else right now. I'm having a dialogue with you. So that's natural in a sense. But if I start and I do this with my graduate students, when I talk about awe and wonder, and we get into some interesting conversations and I start pointing out things in the room, there's everyday things and pointing out how, well, let's just stop here for a moment and linger and just look at what's here and not immediately discount it as somehow being insignificant. And it seems like it's often difficult for them to wrap their head around what I'm suggesting. And That's an interesting question. Like, why is that? And we had a kind of a humorous thing happen a few weeks ago in class around this discussion of awe. And there happened to be a couple of rubber bands on the, I may have told you this story. I can't remember now, but, but it's a funny one where there were just these two rubber bands sitting on my desk where I was lecturing. And so I started talking about the rubber bands and how extraordinary they are and look at the shape and the color of them and the texture of them and just allow yourself to fall into the rubber bands. And you do that and you can discover, wow, this is just an amazing manifestation of the universe. That's actually what it is. It's not merely a couple of insignificant rubber bands sitting on the table. Now, as they listen to me talk about it in this way, their reactions are really, they're they're funny, they're understandable. Okay, he sounds like he's on something. (laughs) What did he get dosed with before class tonight? What's in his coffee? Why is he tripping out on these rubber bands? They're just rubber bands. It's funny to them. Why is that? Why don't they think that those rubber bands are God? 
why don't they think that those rubber bands are the most significant thing they've ever looked at? The most beautiful thing they've ever looked at. I, I would say that what's functioning as a kind of barrier to seeing just how extraordinary everything is, is the belief that it's not extraordinary. Basically, the belief that it's somehow just fill in the blank. It's just a couple of rubber bands. It's just light reflecting on the wall, or it's just some boring looking industrial colored carpet in my living room. That's what we're doing way more of the time than we realize. And then we're not actually living inside the actual world. We're living inside an interpreted world. We're living inside a, and, and as you said, a lot of times those interpretations are dumbing things down. They're, they're making them seem less than they are. They're making them appear to be not that significant, lacking in some way. But actually the opposite, the complete opposite is the case. That what's here is lacking in nothing. <laughs> it's nothing but the most astonishing fullness and vitality and aliveness and lusciousness and beauty. That's what's actually here. Now, yes, those are all descriptions. And I was earlier saying that this is not describable. So that could be seen, seen to be, you know, I'm contradicting myself to, to give it those qualities. But what I would say is that sort of coming to see the experiential phenomena that are here, <laughs> that appear to be here, <clears throat> not merely through the lens of what we think they are and their meaningfulness or lack thereof, which is the overlay, the conceptual overlay. We don't have to get rid of that conceptual overlay. It's pretty difficult to get rid of it, maybe impossible. I guess like Jill Bolte-Taylor had a, a stroke and it seemed to shut off that part of her mind, her brain, and she started to see the wonder of everything that she had previously been overlooking. It was like that interpretive process seemed to have gotten just, like I said, to shut down. And maybe, you, know, you and I've chatted about this as well, maybe this is one of the ways that, that some of the psychedelic substances work that they're toning down the interpretive process of the mind, that function of consciousness, to such a degree that it starts to open up the wordless world, the non-conceptual world, which is where there is no hierarchy. Because again, the hierarchies are based on definitions, aren't they? This is better than that. This is different from that. That's also a definition. So. This can help to explain why under certain circumstances, say like some psychedelics, or in the case of Jill Bolte-Taylor, a stroke, she was perceiving the oneness of everything, the, the equalness of everything, the fact that everything is made of one inconceivable, substanceless substance. It can't really be said what that is. And that it is lacking in nothing, that it is full, complete wholeness appearing as everything. We hear these things, people speak about these kinds of ways of perceiving reality. And from the definitional side of that, the two-sided coin of reality, it's difficult to see the world in such ways because the definitions appear to be splitting it up into pieces and parts. And then there's a hierarchy 
in terms of the importance of those pieces and parts. What's their potential threat to me or value to me? And so I'm not suggesting, for example, that people take psychedelics. I don't myself as a way of coming to see the world in this um, non-hierarchical way, discovering the absolute transcendental wonder of it all. I don't think it's necessary to take sub substances to see that um, because it's here right now and it can be recognized even when the interpretations are happening and they're not, it's not actually one against the other. They can coexist. They are coexisting right now. I could say, oh yes, my health and well-being are more important than the way the light is reflecting on my wall with respect to me and my human life. So there's a hierarchy there that's interpreted. But I can also see that's not the whole story. That beyond that hierarchy of interpretation, there's something else going on. And that is that everything is this transcendental mystery shining forth. Those are two very different ways of perceiving reality, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not necessary to have a psychedelic experience to, to see that necessarily. But what psychedelic experiences are, as far as I'm aware, and my own experience with them, is it's just a kind of, it's a very revealing experience in the way that, like you were talking about with Jill Bolte-Taylor, and with the psychedelic experience, that whatever that mechanism is, that seems to split everything up, and I say seems because it never really does, because it's still part of that same flow of everything, is switched off. It's that little button gets just, just switched off and everything's seen exactly as it is. And that's very revealing. <laughs> that's not, and the strange thing about it is it's not a, a lot of people would say that's just the, the chemical working on the brain and you're having a hallucination but as you and i have talked many times about this kind of thing people like yourself who've never well a long time in the past maybe but not any time recently have taken psychedelics have seen the exact same thing but someone like myself who has had a lot of psychedelic experiences <laughs> okay so what's going on there because that's not a that's not a chemical interaction that's that's seeing something true i feel that's seeing something beyond those interpretations and just to go on a particular psychedelic experience which is the 5-MeO-DMT experience everything literally dissolves into white light so there's nothing but white light you are the light the light is you there's no inside no outside there is only this infinite miraculous wondrous perfect white light and it's there's no question whatsoever it's a hundred percent obvious without any doubt whatsoever, that is everything. But there's no little, there's no question of there to question it. Even if there was, there would be no questions to ask because it's just so plainly obvious that that's everything. And the interesting thing is you come back from a state like that and the mind comes back online, the little mechanism comes back online and it starts doing its job again. Its job is to split everything up like that white light went somewhere and I've got to get back to that white light. You know, it's, it's like, no, everything. It's literally, there's nothing else. It's saturated every possible fragment of experience. It's just 100%. It's the drop in the ocean, the ocean in the drop. It Everything. There's no right. 
it went nowhere. It's like that interpretive mind is like a, a prism. Like it takes the one light and the next thing you know, you're seeing rainbows. Absolutely. It's yeah, it literally is. It's like the whole of experience is like a rainbow, isn't it? It's taking that, that one perfect white light and it's split it up into all this, this continuum of colors and forms. And it's not, but so it's not just the light. It's not just, it's a full spectrum of experience as opposed to just a visual display. And then you've got these, the interpretation, which starts labeling it all, narrating it all, like it really exists as these separate things that in the interpretation then is believed in. And you've got a perfect process of creating a reality with lots of separate objects and people and things and stories and some things being important and other things not being important and this and that and the rest of the display of the 10,000 things or 10 billion things. What's interesting about the, like I was saying, how in, in our conversations outside of, of these recorded interviews that we've had comparing notes on our respective ways of encountering reality and how, like what you're describing as this one, it's so obviously just one thing. We can feel right now how the kind of simultaneity of these two perspectives, like it's very interesting. It's two, it's like seeing the two colors or the, the multitude of colors of the rainbow, which clearly can be seen. It appears as a multitude of colors. Life appears as a multitude of distinct phenomena, doesn't it? To deny that is just foolhardy because here we are. It shows up like that. <laughs> it shows up right now as two individuals having that look different, <laughs> that have distinct lives. And right, that's what it looks like. And, what, and then some, what are you talking about? It's one light. No, look at all this, all this differentiation and distinction and separation, right? Because that's how it the one light looks. It looks like a rainbow. So what's so amazing, in a sense, this is itself awe-inspiring, that it can be both those things simultaneously. That is, that, I mean, that's the amazing thing, isn't it? That's something you don't hear non-duality speakers talk about a lot, but it's, it's in fact, the appreciation of that. It's just, look around. It's that perfect white light that exists in and of itself inexplicably that's arisen from nothing that has, you know, it's literally bootstrapped itself into existence out of nothing. And that is appearing as everything. It's appearing as your life with all the people in it, all, all the thoughts you have, the trees, the cats, dogs, it, all of it. it. And then the storyline that goes with it, that, that is happening is, I mean, you know, miracle sounds like a strong word, but it's, it cannot be explained so it, it it's a miracle really <laughs> it's um so there's an appreciation for that you know uh, as a process absolutely and i think that the defining of everything and then orienting to the descriptions in these hierarchical ways and also feeling as we all know in the human condition feeling as if some of the colors of the rainbow if you will our threats are represent that something's missing, that something's lacking. And 
that well-being is absent and that contentment is absent. And so then we, of course, go on a search for those things that we search for as humans, happiness, contentment, peace, beauty, love. and But discovering this other perspective, which I say that the simplest way to discover that is, is to feel what's here and not merely think about what's here. Because, for example, I can have a concept and an experience that corresponds with that concept of being separate from you, that there's two people here, right? Two voices talking, conversing. And then all of that that I just described is based on an encounter with something. <laughs> something is here, something is present, being encountered clearly, right? Now, what is that actually? What, what is here that I might describe as a conversation between two people? What's actually here? Okay, something's present. Let me explore it to discover what it is, and let me explore it by feeling it. What does that mean? It's hard to describe, but something's present, feel what it is that's present, whatever that is. And forget about the definitions and descriptions. I mean, they, you, don't, you can't get rid of them, but just feel what's here because the feeling of what's here is absolutely a continuum. And it, I think it, that can be seen quite easily. Now, consciousness may keep going back to the familiar reference points of distinction and separation and differentiation that it's, it's all so familiar with. But the feeling of this is absolutely boundless, isn't it? It's like there's, a, there's something here. You feel what's here, and you can describe it in different ways, a field, a panorama, <laughs> a presence, but in any way that we might try to capture it in words, you go anywhere in this that's present, this field of experience that's present, and you, you never you hit something, you never come to a wall, you never hit like something, you never hit anything. It's just absolute openness. There's no, you never come to the, <laughs> where, where is the bubble of your experience has no wall. It's a wallless bubble. And then within that, the, the, the bubble of your experience, there's no walls between what I conceive of you and me. So wait a minute, what is it? Is there separation here? It's like those, those old photos where you look at it one way and it looks like a woman. You look at it another way, it looks like a vase. I look at it one, it's just like that. I look at it one way and it's you and me, two people. And then I just turn the kaleidoscope and I look at it this way, there's just this continuum of being, this continuum of presence. Those are words that I'm throwing at it, but it's a continuum of inconceivability. It's a continuum of God knows what this is, because that's the other thing about exploring what's here, feeling what's, by feeling what's here, is that as you feel as we feel our way into what we imagine is here based on all the definitions and descriptions, we start to realize something quite extraordinary, which is just as I don't find any walls, I never meet something like that. I come to a stopping point. 
my exploration, my feeling exploration of reality, of the presence of reality right now, uh, is endless. Like I never arrive at, I finally got to where I was headed, which was my destination of discovering what this is. Oh, Eureka, <laughs> I finally found it. Here it is. I never get to the bottom of the well, right? I, I, I just keep looking. I keep looking and I just, and phenomena appear. And I feel those phenomena, uh, what are those phenomena constituted of? And every single detail, every single felt sense is just absolute infinity. It's just absolute infinity. And that is where we can begin to, one way in which we can begin to taste the incredible, unimaginable mystery and wonder of everything that's perceived, everything with a capital E, because everything when investigated in this way that I'm describing, reveals its inconceivability, its absolute, unresolvable, indeterminate nature. So what a wonder that is, that it's not what I think it is. It's not what I imagined it was. Yes, we could say at one level, my phone is a phone and my chairs are chairs and you're Paul and I'm John. And it's like, it doesn't negate you know, like the rainbow is still the rainbow. It doesn't negate the way it looks, but it opens up this other way of perceiving it, which is its infinity, its boundlessness, its boundless nature, its fathomless nature. And that is indeed something to marvel at. And be in awe of it is itself awe-inspiring is how i would say it's encountered yeah i like that metaphor the rainbow because it looks like a thing it looks like a thing you can get to and there's you you go looking for it and you never ever find it no you'll just you'll just keep walking <laughs> yeah and even the apparently solid colors there's an infinite spectrum they're like a continuum of more of a they flow into each other they bleed into each other so they don't it's not that there's dividing lines between the colors so it's just the rainbow itself is infinity <laughs> you know every aspect of it is infinity and that's still it's not just the same for something like a rainbow we go oh yeah that's true for the rainbow that's wondrous that's that's one of those things and that's the same for everything everything is the exact same as that rainbow well, if you look at the visual field, you know, since the rainbow, you know, kind of focuses on the visual element of reality, and you look at, like, how am I defining objects that are appearing in space, as we say, like the object of, so I'm looking at, at you on your screen, so I see you, the, the outline of you, of your body, as distinct from the context within which your form is. So what's actually going on there? It's exactly like the rainbow. Because what, if I look at like the edge of your face, like at what point visually does the, what is that? What is that? How am I distinguishing that from the wall? Well, it's basically being distinguished by color, isn't it? Just like a rainbow. And so, if, but if I look, if I take a second look, and a third look, I can see that it's a continuum. And there's not a, a sharp dividing, there's no dividing line that one blends into the next, blends into the next. 
So again, it appears like there's an outline, but no, there's one, there's one light show that looks like objects, separate objects, but there's no, there's no separate objects. You've said it before. Uh, it's like, it's a, just an amazing magic trick, isn't it? Like the whole thing's like a, the magic show. The whole thing is no different to a dream because in dreams, it really does look like there's separate people and things and it's a storyline. And we think we wake up into something called the world and now this is the real thing and that's just a kind of screensaver while I rest. But this isn't different. This isn't different. The kind of laws within it, the little, the physical laws and things, you can't, fl- bodies can't fly, for example, might be a bit different. But as far as se- separate objects and separate things and the storyline of it, it's all the same. It never changed. Did you ever wake up? That's the question. Have we ever woken up? Is that if there's only the dream, it's, uh, is it just a, fl- a dream that's always looking slightly different did we ever actually wake up from the dream <laughs> other than in our descriptions of it saying i well between you know 10 30 p.m and 7 a.m or 8 a.m i have a dream and i sleep and then i wake up into the real world but that's just another it's just another sort of commentary on well, well, well what's so fascinating is that we have this you know strong pull in us as humans it would seem to try to come to a conclusion of what it is to pin it down. Hey, are we dreaming or not? Is this waking life or is this a dream? Again, it's like that, that impulse to define what it is, like get to the bottom of it. Is it this way or that way? But this is what the investigation reveals is that you can't say, you cannot say how it is. You can say that it is, but you can't say how it is because to say how it is you can say how it appears to be, <laughs> but how it actually is cannot be determined. It can't be determined conceptually, it can't be determined scientifically, and it cannot be determined experientially. So that's, you know, in that sense, I'm, I'm, I'm an empiricist. It's like, let's look and find out how is it, not as some theory or abstract idea, but how is it? Like, let me look and what, what, what does the investigation reveal? And the investigation reveals that every point of reality that I look at is, turns out to not be a point. It turns out to be a wormhole into infinity. And accessing that, you know, the human might understandably ask the question, because this is kind of what we ask as the human creatures we, we seem to be is, well, what's, what's in it for me? You know, like that may sound, that sounds cool and groovy and, you know, reality is actually like an acid trip. Um, I almost did title my book, Reality, The Greatest Drug of All, which is a, a chapter in the book. Um, the publishers decided not to go with that, but we went back and forth. The drug thing was maybe a little too strong to put in the title, they felt. Um, but it's the greatest drug of all in the sense of what do, what do, what do drugs ideally do? They, they, they either make people feel high, <laughs> uh, better. They, they change people for the better, feel a better mood, either more energized, happier. Why do people take drugs, right? Um, I mean, we're, we tend to be wired for, for, for happiness and well-being, it would seem, and pleasure. So we're taking those drugs to feel better, 
to get higher, uh, or in the case of maybe, you know, um, the psychedelics we were talking about, you know, to open the doors of perception, to, to see more deeply into the nature of things. But, but reality is already all those ways that we're, we're wishing it could be through taking these substances. <laughs> it's unimaginably, unthinkably reality is beautiful just as it is, it's unimaginably, unthinkably full and complete and in that sense, enjoyable in the fullness and completeness of it. It's, it's completely at ease within itself. Another reason people take substances to calm down, to feel at ease. Um, and it's absolutely inherently transcendental and beyond definition and description and in that sense, it, it's the doors of perception are already open. They're they're right there. They're they're wide open because everything is wide open. Nothing is actually closed down. Nothing is nothing is actually finite. It's only the describing faculty of consciousness that makes it seem as if it's closed and finite, and um, that we can somehow put this infinity into a box. Um, of meaning, a box of importance, a box of value, a, a box of benefit or lack of benefit to us. And of course, this all applies to ourselves, you know, because we are made of life, we're made of reality. And this that we appear to be as creatures is also, like everything else, um, a wormhole into infinity. I mean, we are infinity, we're made of infinity. Everything is made of infinity. And I think that to come circle back to our, our earlier part of the conversation about awe and wonder and, and gratitude, that by being with what's here in a way, you could say kind of outside of the context of merely how we're describing and defining it, my sense, and I'm, I'm still kind of, I don't know, I would say just exploring this question what happens, you know, when we're not just glancing over things as insignificant is that, and we just, we actually just look at what's there rather than what we think is there, because what we think is there is the initial label that we're giving the phenomena and the additional layers on top of that of, is this meaningful or not? Is this valuable or not? Is this significant or not? So it's kind of like two levels and multi-layered multi interpretation that's going on. But all that's being interpreted is something's being perceived, something's being, something's being encountered. So just be with what's being encountered. And my experience is that It's, it's as if the inherent meaningfulness of it reveals itself by simply being with it as it is. It's almost like, like there's a shape, you know, I'm looking at the shape of something, shape of the blanket on the couch. And, you know, the, if I were to say to someone, the shape of that is the most meaning. That's the, that's, that's like the most beautiful, meaningful thing you could ever see is the shape of that. And someone goes, it's just the shape of the, right. It's just the, right. As we were saying earlier, 
no, it's just the way it happens to be thrown on the on the couch, right? But that's all interpretation, isn't it? What's what's actually being perceived is not merely that interpretation. What's being perceived can't it can't be said what's being perceived. But it's like you're looking at the universe there. You're looking at reality. You know, theologically speaking, you're looking at God. That's the shape that reality has taken. That's the shape that God has taken. Right there. Right there. And and in a a very real sense, it's the most important thing in the world. Everything is the most important thing in the world. Everything is the most magnificent thing in the world from that perspective, because everything is made of this, whatever this is made of, which can't be said. What what's shaping, you know, what's shaping us in each instant, shaping the way thought arises, shaping the way emotions arise, shaping the way things are being perceived and heard and understood and on and on and on and on. Everything is being created in each instant by that which is creating everything, the mystery. And that's why it's beautiful, just as it is. Yeah, that is a hun- that's completely true as far as it goes, because you obviously cannot say why it's beautiful exactly, <laughs> or even whether beauty is the right word, because there is no right word. It just is in its perfection, in its beauty, in its wonder as it is. And then you hear something like this and you go, I'm going to really try, I'm going to try and see it like that. And actually, because it's already the case, it's not a case, it's a really, really subtle thing. Because it's already the case. That is already the case. Like, miraculous God infinity, whatever word you want to give it, is the case. So that's already here. Don't You don't need to do anything about it. Don't need to make it happen. So that's already here. So you, like you say, it sort of reveals itself by being with it. And the being with it is not, um, it's not an effortful intellectual task. That's the problem. That's the problem with even talking about it in the, this way. And teaching of these sorts of things, if you will, is that it's, it, it seems hard for people to not hear it and go, I'm going to now go look for the transcendent. I'm going to go look for the, this beauty that's in everything because I don't seem to be seeing it. So I got to go find it. And I have to find this astonishing nature of everything that he keeps talking about because it doesn't feel astonishing to me. It doesn't feel wonder, wondrous to me, let, let's say, right? So then we... We go to look for what's transcendental or beautiful. And that's a guaranteed way to miss it, in a sense, because that's an idea. That This is the problem. If I talk about something like beauty, we have concepts of what beauty is. And usually that's a hierarchical concept. This is beautiful as opposed to not beautiful. That's why the word even exists. Every word exists because there's something that isn't that word. Otherwise, the word wouldn't exist. So beauty is a meaningless word because if everything's beautiful, beauty is a meaningless word. So why am I using it? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But it's sort of like I got to change my way of perceiving in order to see it the way he's describing it because it looks meaningless to me. Those rubber bands look ridiculous. They're just rubber bands. So how do you see that that's God? Here's the thing. You don't have to see anything other than what you're seeing. It's exactly what you're seeing. 
in exactly the way that you're seeing it, that is what I'm talking about. It's not some other perception. It's this perception. This perception, exactly, it's like the way the tree is shaped. That's the shape. That's God. <laughs> not some other shape. Don't look for some th- something else. It's exactly what's being perceived now and exactly exactly what's being heard now and felt now and tasted now and touched now. Exactly in the way, exactly in the way, the specific way that it looks. If I look at the shape again of the blanket, it's, it's very simple in a sense. It's just that shape. It's not some other shape. It's that shape. <laughs> And it's weird. It may sound weird, but it's that shape, <laughs> exactly as it is. Like the way the, the line is curved, like this way, it's so beautiful. It's not that the beauty's not found in twisting my mind in some way to see the beauty. The beauty is in the very thing itself, it's intrinsic, it's inherent in it. That's the thing, it's inherent in it. So, The beauty I'm speaking about, the wonder of it, is inherent in the way it's being encountered. Exactly. Exactly. It's inherent. That's why nothing needs to happen. Nothing needs to change. Experience doesn't need to change because reality is independent of how it looks or not dependent upon how it looks. It is because it is everything. So it's not dependent on looking a particular way, feeling a particular way, being perceived a particular way. All the ways that it's being felt, all the ways it's being perceived are it, exactly as it is. That sounds very weird, like you're saying, to a mind, like you're saying that blanket. You go, I I want to know what John is seeing. What kind of magical blanket does John have in his bedroom (laughs) that can be seen? The mind goes, comes in, and goes, why? Why, <laughs> John, tell me? And it won't make sense to a, that kind of faculty, you could say, to that perspective or mode. It doesn't make any sense to the intellect. It's seeing, like you said, it's inherent in it. The beauty is there as what it is because it is. And that's not an explanation, really. But it's not something the, the mind can intellectually take apart and say, a plus B equals C, which is beauty. It's like, no, it's it's just like you said earlier, it was it's being with it directly as it is. Your reasons for why things are beautiful or not beautiful or amazing or not amazing are always something you've learnt in comparison to something else throughout your life. You can all everything is learnt. This is going straight to it. Looking at the shape. Even calling it a shape, that, that's not a shape. That's not a shape. That's also learned. It's not not a shape because, again, reality is inclusive of everything, including its descriptions. But something's there that's it's so alive. It's so, it's, it can't be said what that is. I'm looking at one tiny portion of the field. I'm just happy to focus on that just for purposes of discussion, but I could turn my gaze to anything or feel any sensation or 
perceive any thought or it's exactly the same thing it's like you take thought and we'll go out of the visual field for a moment and well i know what thoughts are there are these things that i call thoughts okay so i have a word for it like i'm going to think about my mother so there's a thought of my mother an idea of my mother but what's actually there that i'm calling a thought it's pure miracle whatever it is it can't be said what it is let's go back to the beginning of the conversation about gratitude and appreciation one more time i say this to my students i go you're living inside a treasure chest and if you wanted you could just see wonder everywhere because wonder is everywhere and i say to them you know imagine if i could had a pill i could give you and you would just see awe and wonder everywhere you looked everything was a source of inspiration of that kind in the same way you might feel seeing a beautiful sunrise or something or a moment of great love or something or hearing some beautiful music that just is brings you to your knees the beauty of it the awesome nature of it i said that's the world that we live in actually every single thing being encountered holds that same intrinsic wonder wondrous magical phenomenal ultimately it's beyond all those words but somehow in touching and seeing the way in which it is beyond all the definitions and descriptions the flavor of that the scent of that we could say it seems to exude a scent when you touch when you touch the infinite nature of it the boundless fathomless nature of it it's not as my friend peter brown likes to say it's not any old nothing because it's not a thing you can't pin it down as a thing so in a sense you'll hear teachers talk about it's nothing but this nothingness quote unquote this emptiness this non-thingness is the plenum it is the cornucopia because that which we might say is empty of thingness looks like looks like all of this yeah that's in the, just a how subtle this gets there's still that temptation to label it as like emptiness or nothingness and that's not it like you say it's a plenum that's it's i love that i love that um description that metaphor we're inside of a che- treasure chest. We're living inside. We were born into a treasure chest. And we're just looking around and just going, oh, it's just regular old treasure, <laughs> you know, just kicking it around. <laughs> and you're just completely overlooking this amazing treasure. And it's not even like we're somehow separate from the treasure investigating the treasure, which it can often feel like subtly or not so subtly. We are the treasure. <laughs> It's like it's everywhere. The treasure's everywhere. So both the perceived and the perceiver is all treasure, is all absolute boundless wonder. Boundless wonder. And it's funny, you know, we're chatting about this, and maybe I'll just bring it up because it's just coming to mind. But you'll hear sometimes teachers in the kind of labeled as non-dual, non-duality teachers. Obviously, a lot of what I talk about 
is resonant with many of the things that that are said by those folks. And but sometimes you'll hear this kind of talk about how well, really, there's nothing in this for you because there is no you, for example. What is this conversation about then? There's nothing in this for you. In a sense, I understand the spirit of that, the truth of that in a way, but it's also not true. There's the cornucopia. There's everything you ever wanted and dreamed of, in a sense, in it for you. I I remember one time, this was a very seminal moment in my life where I had this cracked open sort of moment of awakening. I saw that everything that I'd been searching for for a couple of decades was, was already present, was what I was. And it was a shocking thing to see because I'd always imagined that it wasn't here, which is why I was looking for it. And it was like, oh my God, I'm the very thing I've been looking for. I'm made of the very thing I've been looking for. And, and I remember just, just being sort of bowled over by that. I mean, just was overwhelming in just the magnitude of seeing that at the time. And I remember it had its own element of kind of fireworks to it. It was very intense and explosive kind of and emotional and lots of tears of just amazement at it all and wonder of it all. And then as all experiences do, that faded, that kind of intensity. And later on, maybe even that day during a meditation session on this retreat I was on, I started feeling this very familiar, very familiar feeling of wanting, this familiar feeling of wanting something else, like that this wasn't enough, what was here right now. I was like, and I remember almost like having a conversation with myself, like, what the fuck? What do you mean? What just happened? You just that I could feel that grasping for something else. Like, and it was a little bit of like, I wanted back that experience because it was so cosmic and wondrous. And now I'm just sitting here, you know, meditation. It's like, what's the big deal? You know? And it's really the only time I would ever say I kind of heard a voice that felt like it was other than me. And I would just say it was just somehow, I don't, I can't really, no point in trying to explain it, but the voice took this form and said this to me, which was, isn't this enough? And then the voice went on and it said, can you feel how much grace is actually here? Just as it is. And that's the treasure chest. That's the bounty. Like, here's this life. Like, we feel, we can feel our aliveness. It's the simplest thing to feel as a human. Like, you are alive. We know we're alive. Feel the beingness of this moment. This is the pouring forth of reality's bounty. This is the, it's ceaseless. It's magnificent. It's the, the, the cosmos pouring forth as this instant, as this beingness that each one of us is, appears to be. It's unimaginable how rich this is, how full this is, how vital this is, how alive this is. It's explosive. And the aliveness itself, this is the Ananda part of Sat Chit Ananda. This aliveness, this mystery of life itself, that that this moment is, the mystery of existence itself, is inherently nourishing. It's inherently of benefit. Intrinsic. It's intrinsic to life itself. 
It's like the feeling tone of reality itself. Because you're feeling, when you feel when I was saying you feel this moment, the feeling of this moment is pure aliveness. It's pure vitality. It's pure intelligence. It's, and that's what we have in every instant. Literally, that's what we are made of in every instant. Isn't that just extraordinary? That's never absent. For one second, is that ever absent? And everything is brimming with that. That's the treasure chest. Everything is, is overflowing with that, the creative spark of the universe. Of course it is. It is the creative spark of the universe. It is its emanation. It is its shining. It is its shakti, the absolute like vitality of this flash instant that's here. And so all these shapes and colors that we're just walking right past as insignificant are the flash. It's a bit like this. Okay, so here's a good way the dream metaphor is helpful here, maybe. So there we are in the dream, and like there's some big drama going on in the dream, kind of like our waking lives, you know, some drama going on <laughs> that we're caught up in, understandably. It's compelling in some way. We're drawn into the dramas, uh, the relationships and the, the, the dance of the human life in dreaming or waking. But there's all this stuff in the dream, all these details, right? That are the scenery that is there. It's not just this like sort of um, uh, disassociated, like it's not like this narrative that's just off floating in empty space, like some drama. It's a full scene, isn't it? It's like, like the full movie of the dream, like with all these colors and details and but they're all kind of there sort of in the background right and what's compelling is you know this person chasing me or this person i'm making love with or whatever and but it's all the dream isn't it it's all made of the dream stuff of this amazing what is the dream made of god i mean talk about magic are you kidding me every night you know we go to sleep and consciousness let's say dreams a whole world universes of of experience and people places and things and um i mean really and and there's it feels as real as real could be you know and, and consciousness is just dreaming all of this so from that standpoint we can see that actually everything every little detail that we might not be attending to in the dream is equal to this the the, the central figures on the stage of the dream in terms of the main narrative going on, because it's all the dream stuff, isn't it? It's all made of the magical, mysterious thing called dreaming, consciousness dreaming. And waking life is just like that. And that's why every little curve, every little shadow, every little flicker of light is of equal significance and value because it's all the dreaming of life. It's all the, the, the shining of reality. It's not like one piece of reality is more the light of reality than another piece of reality. No, it's all the light. It's all the, and that's what, you know, you were describing seeing in your, on your, your, your journey, you know, with the substance, which is like, it's all, you said, it's all this, I thought it was all this white light, you know, it's, of course, it's even beyond that, you know, because what, what is, what is, what is light, uh, but, but sometimes reducing it to this singular sort of, thing can be a helpful sort of jumping off point to realize it's it's all equal in the sense of it's all made of we could say divinity whatever whatever yeah 
I mean, that's literally the case as well, isn't it? I mean, you know, sometimes it's like you say, it's nice to have metaphors like dreams and stuff. So it's like, you know, you have your quote unquote individual dream at night and all of that appears. What this is, you could say as a whole, is like the most magnificent being that could ever possibly exist is having a dream. And then therefore anything that appears within that dream is part of that magnificent, loving, amazing being um, expressing and nothing is left out. So you just look at a piece of dirt and it's still still that magnificent being's dream. It's it's not it's never left that, you know, and that's that's actually the situation. I'm not saying it's the dream of one one kind of being called God or anything, but I mean what this actually is is this explosion of that ecstatic bliss that you were kind of referring to before. And everything is that. It never left it. Now, what we can do is we seemingly have this even weirder part of this ecstatic explosion where we can turn around and kind of deny it, (laughs) where we sort of believe in an interpretation of this dramatic ecstatic explosion of, of divinity and deny what it is and seem to call it something other. Yeah, I mean, what part of the dream of infinity that it can dream itself finite and limited. That's what it does. It's dreaming, it's dreaming that it's not itself, that it's somehow been cast out of itself, and that it goes on a search for itself. I mean, that's the amazing, that's its dance, it would seem. I mean, it's certainly been the dance of my life, imagining I'm an individual, I've been plucked out of the hole and started on a search to find the whole again you know that's what yoga is about the union of the soul with god that's what the word means and so yeah so my yogic path began of trying to refine my wholeness to refine the oneness that i had read about in these books that people were giving me just out of i don't know how that happened but it was like but i was compelled you know like to find that and but that's but that's the only thing that exists, which is turns out to be the great joke. That actually, the ocean never collapsed into a wave, a finite, separate wave. That all the waves were just its dance, and so it never left itself. It never it never leaves itself. It never becomes anything other than itself. Um, and so separations never occurred. Separation has never occurred. Division has never happened. And in a very real sense, identification has never actually happened, even though it can seem like it has. Like it seems like the light splits itself into separate colors, and it's very convincing. (laughs) If it wasn't convincing, it would be like there would be no, you know, in other words, if the separation wasn't convincing, then there would be no search to regain the wholeness because you would already, the jig would be up. You would already know, like, you can't fool me. It's like, you know, it's like, no, I, I already am that. So ha, 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 let's have a good chuckle. You know, it's like, I've always been reality. Um, I think Ramana Maharshi said something like that. You know, when, when you realize that you've always been reality, you know, just burst out laughing. Right. But, but in a sense, if it's going to play this game of like hide and seek with itself, reality, it has to, it has to, it has to make it seem like the Maya, right. The apparent illusion of separation has to be convincing and it's damn convincing 
That's yes, it's so convincing. It's it's great. I mean, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's I say it's great now. If I was in a terrible mood, I'd probably be saying it's not so great. <laughs> but you know, I'm talking to my friend John about my favorite favorite thing to talk about. So you know, it's it's pretty pretty nice right now. But when when you're in a really sort of difficult state, you go, well, this this game is not fun. Why why is this happening? It can feel anything, but it can feel anything but fun sometimes. Absolutely. It can, it can be gritty. It can be, and, you know, I mean, this is a kind of, again, the pragmatic sort of practical utility of this. It's not just like a groovy, cool philosophy that might sound intriguing. I mean, it may be that too, but no, it's like, it's the resolution of suffering. It's not necessarily the negation of the experience of suffering, but it's the resolution of it in the sense of reveals what suffering is made of, that suffering is also what we call suffering is what we call heartbreak and confusion and terror and is also the dreaming of reality is also made of that light that isn't merely light, but is something that can't be said what it is. And, and 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 yes, it's like that's the all-inclusive nature of it is is that nothing you know, nothing's excluded, and so everything is its shine. And so when we go through the challenges of life, which seem to be part and parcel of living a human life, that we encounter loss and disappointment and confusion, heartbreak, all sorts of things, old age and death. If we imagine, as we tend to, that that's in fact what all those things are, is the way we're describing them merely then we have what we call the sense of suffering and in the from the milder forms to the more hellacious forms that it can take but 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 feeling into what's actually there beyond those conventional descriptions reveals an entirely different way to encounter the ups and downs and vicissitudes and unpredictable uncontrollable on and on and on nature of this existence we, we seem to be um encountering and yeah it's like it's like a key you know it's that that in a sense kind of unlocks the riddle of suffering or or better put that's not a good way to put it maybe it it, it just reveals that suffering is not merely suffering that it's something else, that it's a display of inconceivable light and intelligence and meaningfulness and richness. And again, those are just words. And it, it, what it ultimately is, is beyond comprehension. And in seeing that as beyond comprehension, we touch something more basic about it, more fundamental about it, and more... Um, it's like discovering the non-problematic nature of it, the perfection of it, you could say. Yes, nicely put. Yeah. While you're saying that, I was thinking this is about, in some ways, coming to see this in more and more profound ways, just with escalating levels of profundity and almost developing a more acquired taste, <laughs> you know, just a really mature taste, you could say, for what is occurring. You know, I mean... It's, it's, you could say, argue that it's very easy to see it as the miraculous, wondrous 
just amazing quality of bliss outpouring when it's when it feels quote unquote good when it feels happy and it feels bright and the sun's out and you're the sun of your mood is out you know and you're having a great time what it's not easy to see is when you're really struggling and you're conflicted inside and there's dark moods and stuff and that's the really that's being with it in a really profound way that seeing when you see that those moves those dark moves the confliction the confusion the lack of clarity feeling like you've totally lost whatever you had when you see that as it as well then that reveals what you're saying the non-problematic nature then you're completely realize you're always totally safe you, you can't ever lose it and that's where it really i think where the rubber really hits the road uh, with this stuff like seeing it when you're feeling great and fantastic and ecstatic so so to speak it's great but seeing it when that isn't the case that's where it's really life-alteringly amazing yeah i mean it's like it's recognizing that we have our preferred waves phenomenal waves we have our preferences of pleasure over pain to put it very a point on it but all the waves are made of the sea all of them so no wave no matter how at one descriptive level and experienced level we could say because some waves can be incredibly difficult phenomenal waves but to realize that no even those waves are life's shining life's expression the sea's emanation because that's what the sea does is it it generates waves which are itself and that's an amazing like a little kind of trick one can actually utilize when i've been talking to my students about this recently that we often when difficulties are arising experientially what makes them particularly difficult or essentially difficult um, is the sense that the the wave is happening to me and i'm subject to the wave of experience thoughts feelings sensations circumstances events wh whatever they are right the pandemic is happening to me <laughs> for example my negative thinking my self-critical thoughts are happening to me they're overwhelming me they're painful to me and that again is that's the perspective of separation there's two things there's me and the waves and sometimes i like them sometimes i don't like them <laughs> but from the perspective of the sea itself this that is everything this mystery that is everything this aliveness that is everything the waves of experience are not happening to me they are me they're just my expression my in the biggest sense of that word this infinite life that i am there and, and in that sense there something that is me is not a there's not two things there there's not it's not it, it's the, the the shift of perspective is from say i'm i'm an individual wave and those big waves are crashing over my wave and potentially harming me 
but to see what are all the waves made of, it's that that's the impersonal perspective in the sense that it's all this seeming separation of subjects and objects colliding into each other, crashing into each other is one way to encounter reality for sure. We all know that way very well. But this other perspective is you can feel the way in which this is all the movement of wholeness. This is that, that everything moved by that which moves everything. And then there's no subject and there's no subject and object. There's just the flow of experiencing, which, as I was saying earlier, when you feel the flow of experiencing, you don't find subjects and objects. You find the continuum, don't you? So we come right back to that. And you it's that's a very different way to encounter the challenges of life, to not merely feel that they're happening to me, but to see them as expressions of reality. It's it's a complete game changer. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Another metaphor that I, I liked that you I heard you use in one of your videos that this is all like an orchestra. I think it was a leaf on a tree you were referring to that just fell on the like fallen on the ground. That's just like one of this this whole inseparable orchestra of life, you could say, and all of it's included. And so, it, it, I quite like the likening it of, of it to music because it's easily it's easy to see in music. Actually, some of the best songs are. Some of the saddest songs, people in really depressed states making music can sometimes make the world's most fantastic, most brilliant pieces of music or art. See it from that perspective as a way in that actually maybe it's not how you think it is. That's beauty. The beauty is shining through that particular state of what you might call depression. That's the beauty's there and it's expressed as this wonderful piece of music. And so you can start to see that, no, if we only just played the happy notes, <laughs> you know, oh, what a boring, boring piece of music. It's got no depth to it. It's got no richness. I love choral music. And it's actually often the dissonance in choral music that makes it so beautiful. The, 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 the dissonant notes that where there's tension harmonically speaking and that's just my god it's so beautiful how beautiful the tension can be musically maybe we can kind of put a bow on the conversation about you know gratitude and say well i think that gratitude can be a practice as you were saying at the outset that we can engage in it can be of benefit and research keeps showing that it can be of great benefit to intentionally you know cultivate gratitude I also think that exploring reality in the ways we've been discussing to discover its unfathomable nature, the way in which all the hierarchies, the seeming hierarchies created by our definitions are, are only telling us half the story, that what's here is, is beyond comprehension. Everything is beyond comprehension beyond knowledge, beyond concepts and characterizations, that that opens us up to something that appears to be full and complete and nourishing and whole and wondrous about everything. And I think that a, a sense of gratitude seems to often be a natural response to that. 
to the beholding of that cornucopia, that plenum, that um, treasure treasure trove that is reality itself, because it just feels like a spontaneous like, wow, it's just we're being gifted in a sense in every instant, and um, you know that gratitude is just the appreciation of that gift, the gift that is reality. Yeah. Nicely put, John. I, I haven't really got anything to add to that. It just feels like when that's fully appreciated, fully seen, it's difficult to put into words, but it's no longer stilting that flow. It's no longer stunting that flow of that cornucopia, that treasure just flowing. It's never really stunted, but from a human standpoint, we could say noticing that it's never stunted, then we get to enjoy it. We get to appreciate it. We get to benefit from it. You know, it's kind of, it's like, yeah, that, that amazing like little thing on the sidewalk that could just bring you to tears in it's unfathomable beauty. You might just walk right by it and that's cool. You don't have to see it, but seeing it, stopping for a moment and noticing it and recognizing, oh my God, I'm looking at the pure divinity there and that little seemingly meaningless thing on the sidewalk. Then you get to enjoy that. You get to partake of it. You get to partake of its, you are partaking of it, but you're, we're missing out on it in a sense, it would seem oftentimes, which is why we feel our lives are somehow lacking and incomplete and missing something. Wait, why do we feel that way? If I'm really living in this plenum, this bounty, ever, never ceasing, nourishing bounty of reality, why, how come I don't feel that way? You know? <laughs> well, that becomes the question of the, of the hour, the question of a life, which is, doesn't seem that way. How come it doesn't seem that way? And I would say at one level, not to oversimplify it, but it has everything to do with how we're defining it because it is that way, but consciousness, and it's innocent because consciousness deludes itself. Life deludes itself to imagine that it's somehow missing something as we were saying. And, and so it's innocent and it's impersonal in that sense, but we have an opportunity if we're so inclined to check it out and look at reality and experience it in a way we may not be accustomed to, which is outside of our frames of familiar frames of knowledge and what everything is. And because it is truly not what we imagine it is, it is so much more than what we could ever possibly imagine that it is. And it's even more than that. I'm sure probably in some ways I know, in a sense, we're always just scratching the surface of just how bountiful it is, just how astonishing it is. Because it's infinite. So we never finally come to the end of the road of discovering its boundless, bountiful nature because it's infinity. So we never get to the end of it. And that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> infinity seems like, you know, intimidating to to maybe a mind or an ego or whatever we're calling that function. It's like intimidating. Infinity is like, oh God, what, what is infinity? That's terrifying. But no, that's a good thing. <laughs> what you, when you were just talking there, just to maybe round this off, it reminded me of a quote in a film called Waking Life. Basically, this guy is dreaming. The whole thing's set in a dream. It's about lucid dreaming, basically. It's a really good film, but he comes across different people talking philosophical things and some really interesting sort of deep chats go underway. But this is one part of the film where this one guy says, it's like every moment God is inviting us to come to the kingdom of heaven. 
And we're just like, no, nah, no, not, not ready yet. Every single moment, every passing moment. No, 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 no. You're okay, God. Don't worry about it just yet. <laughs> I quite liked that. That's that's kind of in line with what you, you were saying, I feel. It's just always here. The invitation is always here. The invitation is always constantly inviting you every. Well, that's the thing too. In the benevolence of the universe, we could say every instant is that op- same opportunity to see it that way. And even if it's not seen, let's say, it's missed, if you will, we miss seeing just how remarkable this actually is. Then there's the next instant, in a sense, you know, it's, 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 it, that opportunity is always here.